You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1850th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 14th of October 2021. The editor of this edition is Sue Aitchison, the producer is Jackie Whiting and your readers are Carol and David Gooderham. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. <clears throat> and now for the headlines. Woman forced to perform DIY dentistry on 11 teeth. Patient <coughs> raises mental health <coughs> trust concerns. Cards stolen from supermarket shoppers used to withdraw cash. Johnson backs nuclear power, but no word on Sizeville <coughs> C. Patients have been forced to perform DIY dentistry as a result of the postcode lottery of NHS Dental Services. Danielle Watts of Bury St Edmunds told this week how she removed 11 of her own teeth after she was unable to see a dentist for six years following the closure of her surgery. Speaking to the BBC, she said, I have tried 111 and was told it wasn't that serious as my face wasn't that swollen and just to take painkillers and see how it went. I've just had nowhere to turn. Literally every phone call to a dentist No, we're not taking the NHS on any we're not taking on any more NHS patients. I don't smile, I've just lost my confidence. I take painkillers on a daily basis. Danielle's plight comes as the British Dental Association issued a warning to Health Secretary Sayed Javid that real ambition was needed to reform the broken NHS dental service. In his speech to Conservative Party conference, the Health Secretary failed to make any mention of the precarious state of NHS dental services. While Covid restrictions have slashed capacity in the service, ongoing pressures have reduced access. The NHS contract system funds care for little over half the population and has left many areas experiencing acute recruitment and retention problems. While the government has already committed to reform NHS dentistry, the BDA said ministers must be ambitious with no return to a business-as-usual model where access problems were the norm. Eddie Crouch, BDA chairman, said... The crisis in this service predates COVID. It's the practices unable to fill vacancies, patients struggling to secure needed care and desperate people taking matters into their own hands. 
ministers have a responsibility to ensure the grotesque spectacle of DIY dentistry ends. Last month, this paper reported on desperate patients unable to find an NHS dentist, while NHS England plans for new dental services across Suffolk and Norfolk failed to include any in West or Mid-Suffolk. Meanwhile, Toothless in Suffolk campaigners have planned a march and demonstration in Bury on October the 17th. They will assemble on, on Angel Hill from 11am, leaving at 11.30am to march past MP Joe Churchill's offices before assembling in the Abbey Gardens to hear from speakers. A patient has voiced concerns that overworked and understaffed mental health facilities are leading to lapses in care. John Furbank was a patient at Wedgwood House in Bury St Edmunds in June for six days, but said he checked himself out of the mental health unit as there were three staff for 28 patients throughout his stay. He complained that he was unable to receive the treatment he needed due to staff shortages. Norfolk and Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust said it would always work with patients to find them the most suitable support. Although Mr Furbank received respite care, he said adequate care was not available when he left the facility, so the issues he was facing resurfaced quickly. He said that on the day he was supposed to be collected and discharged, his paperwork had not been collected and he was later forced to find his own way home an experience he found stressful. Amy Eagle, who is the Interim Chief Operating Officer at NSFT, said, We always want to learn from people's experiences of our care, and I would ask anyone with concerns to contact our customer services team to allow us to investigate. A patient's treatment plan is always based on their clinical need. We will always work with patients to find them the most suitable support. The Care Quality Commissioner has rated the Trust as requires improvement for its mental health crisis services and inadequate for its specialist community health services for children and young people. Shoppers at supermarkets in Haverhill and Newmarket had money withdrawn from their accounts after their bank cards were stolen. The first incident happened at some point between 12.45 and 1pm on Sunday in the Sainsbury's car park in Haycock Road, Haverhill. The victim, a woman in her 70s, had been shopping and returned to her car, an orange Suzuki Vitri Pitara, which was parked at the back of the car park. An unknown man was standing near her car but did not speak to her. After unloading her shopping, the woman returned her trolley to the trolley park before she was approached by a second man who asked her for directions to town. On her return, the woman found her purse stolen from the boot of her car. Money was later withdrawn and stolen from her account. The first suspect is described as being between 5 feet 10 inches to 6 feet in height, aged in his mid to late 30s, and wearing dark clothing. He is also described as clean-shaven, with a tanned complexion and, and acne scars. <clears throat> the second suspect, who distracted the victim, 
is described as being of similar height and age, of medium build, with a tanned complexion, very short, receding, dark brown hair. He was wearing dark clothing, wore an earpiece in his ear and spoke with a foreign accent. The second theft happened at around 3.20 on Wednesday in the Tesco Extra in Fordham Road, Newmarket. A woman in her 60s was shopping when she noticed her mobile phone, which contained bank cards and cash, was missing from her pocket. The bank card was then used on four separate occasions following the theft and money withdrawn and stolen from her account. The woman believes the suspects may have been have seen her using her PIN at the checkout. Police are looking to speak to two men in connection with the incident. The first suspect is described as white, aged in his, in his mid to early 30s, of slim to medium build, with dark cropped hair and wearing dark rimmed glasses, dark blue trousers, a white collared shirt and a dark coloured puffer coat with a hood. He also had a white earpiece in his left ear. The second suspect is described as white, also aged in his 40s to early 50s, of medium build and was wearing black trousers, a white shirt and dark coloured puffer coat with no hood. Police are keeping an open mind as to whether the two incidents are connected. Campaigners against a new nuclear power station in Suffolk have said it's a waiting game. <coughs> after the Prime Minister called for more nuclear power in Britain but failed to elaborate on more detailed plans. Speaking at the Conservative Party conference on Wednesday, Mr Johnson said it was important that the country looked to more wind and more nuclear power and became less dependent on hydrocarbons from abroad. The Prime Minister said that changes to energy, amongst other policies, would help costs be held down and save the the and save the public money. It had been expected that Mr Johnson may use the speech to commit <coughs> to the construction of two new nuclear power stations, <coughs> but this was not the case with the Prime Minister choosing to focus on other infrastructure projects. To coincide with the Prime Minister's speech, the anti Sizewell C group, Stop Sizewell C, lit up the Manchester One buildings on Tuesday night. The protesters projected messages including Don't buy Sizewell C, too damaging, too costly, too risky. Build back greener, faster. We can't afford to wait for Sizewell C. And Sizewell C is a taxing issue. We'll all pay the £20 billion construction cost. Speaking after the Prime Minister's speech, Alison Downs from the group agreed with commentators that it had been policy light. I think we will have to wait to see what they have in mind, she said. She said it was hard to know what government was thinking about sites like Sizewell and whether it would hedge its bets by reconsidering sites like Wifler in North Wales, which has been labelled a perfect location and best site. I think we will have to be very watchful for what may come in the weeks ahead, she said. A spokesman for EDF said nuclear is needed because it's available 24-7 and will balance a future low-carbon energy system dominated by weather-dependent renewables. A system with nuclear 
will be much cheaper for consumers compared to a system based on renewables alone. Sizewell C is the only nuclear project ready to start construction in this parliament. It has an approved design and will benefit from the experience gained at Hinkley Point C and provide thousands of local jobs and opportunities for people to gain new skills leading to rewarding long-term employment. And now on to the general news. There will be no fireworks display in the Abbey Gardens this year after the volunteer fundraising group which runs the event decided it could not operate it due to the uncertain environment. Organisers, Bury St Edmunds Round Table said, after a great deal of consideration and due to the ongoing uncertainty regarding Covid restrictions this autumn, we have made the decision not to run the event this year. We are a group of volunteer fundraisers and unfortunately cannot commit to running the event given the current uncertain environment. Jacob Curtis, Roundtable Chairman, said it is a great shame for the town that after the last couple of years if we were to make a loss it would have to come out of our personal finances. We thought it would be better to reassess next year with a view to relaunching the event in November 2022. Last year's Abbey Gardens display was also called off. However, Berry Roundtable Santa Sleigh tour will be going around this festive season. Needham Market's Crowley Park fireworks display is also cancelled, however. Berry Rugby Club's fireworks display is on, on November the 5th. Suffolk Council has announced it is investing £70,000 in upgrades to its car park at Nowton Park. Advanced warning signs will be up in the car park ahead of the work, which is set to take place from October the 18th until the 20th. The car park will be closed, but pedestrians will still be able to access the park. The essential works, which are subject to the weather, will include resurfacing, relining and clearing of vegetation around the car park. Councillor Joe Rayner, Cabinet Member for Leisure, Culture and Community Hubs, said, Since restrictions were lifted, we have seen visits to the, to the parks soar and the car park is now in need of some maintenance, so we can ensure we can continue to welcome lots of visitors. This investment, which we are deliberately trying to get completed ahead of half term, will ensure that people travelling by car can still access and enjoy this wonderful parkland. A coffee shop which helps to support Armed Forces veterans opened its doors to the public last week. Combat Coffee was launched by ex-serviceman Nigel Seaman, 48, from Bury St Edmunds, after support he received from Help for Heroes and Combat Stress saved his life. While open to the whole community, Combat Coffee, based in the Constitutional Club in Guildhall Street, is a not-for-profit organisation offering support to, to forces veterans who may be struggling to adapt to life outside the service. For many in social isolation, having a place where they can speak with others could be the thing that gets them through the day, and if this can be that place, it's all worth it, said Nigel. Staff at the coffee shop, a mixture of employees and volunteers, 
have received mental health first and training, giving them the skills to spot signs of those in need of assistance. Combat Coffee actively encourages staff to focus on speaking to customers and not simply on rapid service. Matthew Tate, who served in the armed forces for seven years and is now a security officer, said adapting to civilian working life had been difficult. But having somewhere like Combat Coffee, where he volunteers, would be helpful to many making this same transition. Every Tuesday, between 11am and 1pm, Wayne Ward from the Norfolk and Suffolk Foundation Trust and West Suffolk Armed Forces lead will host a veterans group with the aim of preventing social isolation through conversation. Wayne said he hoped the coffee shop would help being, bring veterans and the community together. We were all for it. It's a great concept and helps bring the whole community together, said Roger Smith, 74, the treasurer of the Constitutional Club. Although the shop received financial backing from councillors' locality budgets and supporters, £10,000 was raised by serving soldier Ian Robinson, along with David Granfield and Tony Buff, who took part in the Welsh 3,000 climbing 10 mountains of 3,000 feet in less than a day. A coroner will look at any history of risk-taking behaviour and the mental state of a young airman who went missing after a night out in Berris and Edmonds five years ago. Corrie McKeague, 23, disappeared in the early hours of September the 24th, 2016, after a night out in Berry, and was never found, despite one of the most expensive searches ever carried out by Suffolk Police. At a pre-inquest review at Suffolk Coroner's Court in Ipswich last Thursday, all those involved in Corrie's case were briefed on what a full inquest will cover next March, March the 7th. And it was decided any history of Corrie potentially engaging in risk-taking behaviour and how his mental state was at the time of his disappearance will be covered. Police have put forward a theory that Corrie fell asleep in a biffer bin in the horseshoe area near Brent Govel Street in Bury, on the night of his disappearance. The bin was later tracked to a landfill site in Milton, near Cambridge. The inquest was told Corrie's movements in the lead-up to his disappearance will be covered, as well as the Biffa bin collection, which was carried out in the early hours of the morning after Corrie was last seen on CCTV. The inquest will also look at alternative theories as to how Corrie went missing and why police ruled them out. The hearing saw the counsel for Corrie's mother and father, Nicola Urquhart and Martin McKeague, make representations on behalf of their clients. Additional time was granted for Suffolk Police to put together CCTV from the night Corrie went missing. The number of witnesses who would speak at the inquest to be held with a jury was also discussed. The original list would see 20 witnesses speak, but counsel for both Mrs Urquhart and Mr McKeague requested the list be reviewed by all parties to ensure only the appropriate amount of witnesses were called to speak. Nigel Parsley, senior coroner, said due to reviews on the number of witnesses and CCTV, 
TV footage to be covered on the night, a further pre-inquest review would be needed. He said it would be sensible to have a pre-inquest review at a maximum of four weeks before the full inquest is due to start on March the 7th. Quitting gangs are absolutely ready for the new winter season despite challenges around fuel and HGV driver supply, say Highways Chiefs. Paul West, Conservative Cabinet Member for Highways at Suffolk County Council, said the team was ready for whatever the cold months throw, throw their way. He said, as the cold weather approaches, we are preparing our silk barns, gritters and teams for the start of the winter season. We've been carefully planning our winter-related activities to ensure the roads across Suffolk can be treated and kept open as and when road surface temperatures drop. It is always a very busy time for those working around the clock to grit the roads and we very much appreciate the support and cooperation from residents as we do it. Despite the challenges surrounding fuel, HGV drivers and COVID, we're absolutely ready for the start of this season and committed to keeping our residents safe and the roads moving. We will also be filling registered grit bins over the coming months to further support our local communities. As ever, we encourage road users to drive to the conditions and only travel if it is essential during severe weather events. If bad weather is forecast, we also advise drivers to pack blankets and shovels in case your vehicle becomes stuck. We also ask residents to park considerately when we grit so that we can pass through and treat roads for you and the emergency services. Suffolk Highway's figures have indicated that last winter the service carried out 114 Priority 1 treatments, those on A and B roads, emergency service main routes, hills in excess of 5% gradient, five-day-a-week bus routes and roads with 4,000 or more traffic movements per day. Gritting runs are carried out when temperatures go below 1 degree centigrade and highways chiefs say that more accurate forecasting means the service is able to better predict when gritting runs will be needed. Between Suffolk Highways and Roadworks contractor Keir, 71 gritter drivers are ready alongside external HGV drivers from the authority's supply chain partners. In addition, training is to take place over the next month with 12 new external HGV drivers. And this is an update on winter preparations for local hospitals and this, has been, this piece has been written by Craig Black who is the Interim Chief Executive of West Suffolk Hospitals Trust. One of the things that has struck me over the last two years is what we can achieve when we work together. As the pandemic struck, scientists came together around the world to understand COVID-19 and to build an existing and to build on existing technology to rapidly create vaccines to help us stem its spread. Governments and foundations made funding available and thousands of individuals stepped up to take part in the safety trials needed for it to pass the rigorous licensing tests we expect in modern medicine. The NHS, including many West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust staff, pulled out all the stops to build a vaccination programme from scratch and collectively 
we have so far given out some 93 million jabs, with just under 90% of the adult population having received at least one dose. Over the last few days at the West Suffolk Hospital, we have begun the next phase of that programme, offering booster jabs to our staff. Elsewhere across the county, pop-up vaccination clinics, community pharmacies and GPs are doing similar to ensure that those most at risk from the COVID-19 have maximum protection this winter. We are also kicking off our flu vaccination programme for for our colleagues. Flu vaccination is especially important this year as more people are likely to get flu this winter. This is because less people will have built up immunity against the the virus this year due to measures put in place for COVID-19. This is also the first year that flu will co-circulate alongside COVID-19. Research has shown that if you catch both viruses at the same time, you are at increased risk of getting seriously ill. The best way to avoid catching and spreading flu is by having the vaccination before the flu season starts. This year, the NHS is offering a free flu shot to more people than ever. So, if you are contacted and offered either a COVID booster or flu vaccination, please take up the offer and help protect yourselves and your families this winter. It may seem some time off, but the NHS is already preparing for that winter, and indeed, we are already seeing heavy demand for many services. We are seeing record numbers of patients in our emergency department at West Suffolk Hospital, and I would ask everyone to work with us and think carefully about the best way to get non-urgent help, for example, by contacting NHS 111 online or by phone, or by visiting your local (coughs) GP or pharmacy. For our part, we are working together with colleagues at Ipswich and Colchester hospitals and private providers to help treat patients as quickly as possible, prioritised on clinical need. We are also offering additional therapy services to help people get ready for surgery. More long-term is our cooperation with colleagues across the public services at places like the newly opened Mildenhall Hub. This brings together our health clinics with services from the district and county councils, the police and at Mildenhall even a school. Many people are very familiar with the West Suffolk Hospital at Berries and Edmonds but delivering at local hubs helps bring our health care closer to patients and offers us the chance to increase capacity. It makes it easier for us to work with people like social services to join up care we both provide. We hope to replicate that approach at other centres, including the planned Western Way Hub in Bury St Edmunds. I believe that working together, whether locally or globally, can really help us look after local residents and will help everyone and will help keep everyone safe and healthy in not just the months but the years to come. Our editor says she hopes it's not too soon to mention Christmas. So, here goes. With Christmas fast approaching, a packed programme of festive events has been unveiled for Bury St Edmunds, 
including light trails, music, a market and a magical shopping centre attraction. Although the town's popular festive fair has been cancelled for the second year running due to the pandemic, a series of events has been announced for the Christmas in Bury St Edmunds initiative, involving a number of businesses and organisations. Councillor Susan Glossop, portfolio holder for growth at West Suffolk Council, said the activities in the five weeks leading up to Christmas would support businesses and be held in a COVID-safe way, while capturing the community spirit which has been so ably demonstrated during the pandemic. The events launch on Thursday, November the 18th, with the town's Christmas light switch-on organised by our Bury St Edmunds Business Improvements District. It includes an interactive trail arranged by the BID in partnership with HSBC, requiring visits to eleven separate—sorry, to twelve separate town centre locations, and to answer a question digitally at each. Entries will go into a draw with thirteen winning a total of five hundred pounds of our Bury St Edmunds gift cards. From mid-November, the Ark Shopping Centre supported by Bury St Edmunds Town Council and the BID, will host a 20-25 to minute experience, including a trail, storytelling, a walk through Enchanted Forest, Santa's Toy Shop and finishing in Santa's Grotto. Stephen Bunce, Art Centre Manager, said, Our team of Bury St Edmunds elves have been working extra hard this year to bring you a new magical experience for everyone to enjoy. The ARC will announce details in the coming weeks with tickets on sale shortly afterwards. A programme of music and carols will be held at St Edmund's Bree Cathedral as well as for the first time a Christmas market in the nave from November the 26th to the 27th. From December the 2nd to the 4th West Suffolk Council will host Illumine Abbey in the Abbey Gardens billed as a wonderful extravaganza of lighting music and live entertainment. The Christmas Grotto story hasn't gone away and uh, here's what the Mayor of Berries and Edmonds has to say about it. The Mayor of Berries and Edmonds has defended town council funding towards a shopping centre's Christmas Grotto following a further attack over the plans. Berries and Edmonds Town Council grants of £25,000 towards a winter wonderland at the old top shop unit at the Ark has proved controversial, with some branding it a complete waste of taxpayers' money. The ticket price of £10 has also come under fire in the current climate of rising bills and the ending of the £20 universal credit uplift. Businessman Frank Stennett, of Stennett's Transport said families were facing a perfect storm this winter and is calling on the town council to give the £25,000 to food banks instead. The, the, the Mayor of Berriston Edmonds, um, a councillor Peter Thompson, stressed the town council already supports those in need in the community and will continue to do so, for example through its menu cards and ingredients packs. He said the festive grotto was about bringing people into the town and to support businesses, helping to protect people's jobs. He added, it's not an either or, 
That is a project we have put forward to support local businesses and alongside have other projects already in the pipeline. Organisations in the town are bringing forward festive events in place of the cancelled Berries and Edmunds Christmas Fair. Mr Thompson said the Ark Grotto was a partnership project and commended the shopping centre for helping to support the town. He believes the ticket price is reasonable considering what is, what is on offer. A report that went to town council said children would have the opportunity to walk through the, the, the Wonderland before meeting Father Christmas and receiving a high-quality gift. Mr. St- Mr Stennett said he was not trying to uh, deny people having a good Christmas, but is opposed to taxpayers' money being used to support a grotto at a private shopping centre with tickets at £10. Mr Stennett said he would formally write to the town council to express his views. The town clerk, Greg Luton, said, As with all council decisions, we will continue to review the situation. Previously, a spokesperson for the ARC said they were committed to investing in the town and were grateful for partnerships that allow them to work together to make the town a great success, especially this Christmas. And now we have some letters. The first is from Maggie Barber, and that's entitled Money Could Be Better Spent. Regarding that grotto at the ARC, Berry St Edmunds, sorry, Berry Free Press, October the 11th. What a disgusting waste of hard-earned money. Surely there are better ways of using the money and the ark to support those families who will need our help at that time of year, those folk who won't be able to spend £10 a head to take their children to the grotto. For those who can, wouldn't it be better to give that money to charities that will benefit more folk who need our support. More usefully, couldn't the Ark be opened to take donations for children and families, the elderly and the homeless among us? Even open part of it to provide shelter under the auspices of named local charities for those who would otherwise be sleeping rough to have somewhere safe to stay. My children and grandchildren are grown up now, but I'd gladly donate their £10 a head if I knew it would be used for the right causes. As like as not, I'll donate that anyway, but it'll be so it'll be to named charities that'll use it sensibly, rather than acting as wastefully as Bury St Edmunds Town Council has. <clears throat> this letter is from Mike Hope and is headed Cuts Will Lead to a Debt Crisis. This week, the government ends much of the financial support provided to help people through the COVID-19 pandemic, including a cut universal credit by £20 a week. These cuts risk a long COVID debt crisis, as 11 million people have built up £25 billion in arrears and debt since March 2020. In Bury St Edmunds, 7,323 people who receive universal credit will be affected by this cut. This includes 3,355 people who are also currently in work. Problem debt disproportionately affects the most vulnerable in our society 
and is higher amongst low-income households, women, lone parents, communities of colour, disabled people and renters. A long Covid debt hangover threatens to weigh down our community for years, worsening inequalities and making a genuine economic recovery impossible. As well as stopping the £20 cut to universal credit, the government seriously needs to tackle problem debt in the UK. This means introducing grants and making it easier for those in problem debt to write it down in a fair and manageable way. This letter is from Ian Toulson of Walshamley Willows. With regard to the article, Residents Feel Let Down and Conned Over Leisure Plans, Berry Free Press, October the 1st, it is high time that developers were brought to book. All too regularly, it would appear that develop- developers get plans passed for estates featuring shops, open spaces and other community facilities, which later have to be removed or have their purpose changed because of lack of interest from possible buyers. If developers put, it, put in sweeteners to get their projects through, then they should, by law, be forced to honour that commitment, even if it means that they have to make a substantial loss on that part of the project. Many cash-strapped councils have not got the financial... That's the end of the letters, and now back to some more news. The Stone Market couple, who are Salvation Army, may have been honoured for their work during the pandemic with a special Suffolk Heroes Award decision-making to the local councils, which would result in any alterations to plans being the decision of the elected bodies and not those of profit-making organisations. And this letter is from Emma Tingley, who is the Head of Partnerships for Macmillan Cancer Support in the East of England. This year, hundreds of Macmillan Cancer Support coffee mornings were held across the east of England to raise money and help us support people affected by cancer. And I would like to offer a huge and heartfelt thanks to every single one of your readers who held or attended an event. Your energy and generosity never cease to amaze us. Rest assured, Macmillan is doing whatever it takes to support people with cancer. We're at the end of the phone. We're online. Macmillan volunteers are supporting people through treatment and our Macmillan health professionals are working tirelessly across the UK. But we can't do it on our own. We rely almost entirely on public donations to make a difference, which is why your support has never been so vital. And please believe us when we say every cake, every brew, every penny raised will now go on to help us to support those affected by cancer. There are at least 270,000 people living with cancer in the east of England alone. And across the country, thousands of lives are turned upside down every year in thousands of different ways. These numbers matter, but so too do the people behind them, whether it's investing in specialist cancer nurses, support workers and welfare and welfare benefit advisors, or supporting local communities in the region, we can only offer the support that people with cancer need, thanks to the tireless fundraising efforts of our supporters. We keep pushing every day to do whatever it takes 
to ensure people with cancer get the support they need to live fully, whether that's with physical concerns, how they feel, money worries, or something different altogether, because it's personal for us too. If you'd like to support a Macmillan and do something amazing today, you can visit macmillan.org.uk forward slash get involved. And please remember, if you need information, support or a chat with Macmillan, you can call us free on 0808 808 0000, seven days a week, 8am to 8pm. Thank you all so very much. This next letter is entitled Scooter Riders Seem to be Invisible and the name and address have been supplied. There seems to be an increasing number of riders of electric scooters hurtling on the roads and footpaths at speeds approaching 25 miles per hour or more. Most must be protected by their cloaks of invincibility so there is no need to wear any safety gear against falling off or crashing into motor vehicles. Obviously, this safety protection is a key feature of the cloaks. Let us hope this protection has a third-party mode for pedestrians, buggies and cyclists. Another key feature of the cloaks must be the invisible-to-police mode, as I haven't seen any reports of prosecutions of these illegal acts in the local press. And the next letter comes from John Bailey of Standon. Sir, how much more deluded can this government and some of its people become? We are in dire straits, trying to fill vacancies in almost all industries right now. And what does the government generously offer, in their wisdom? Temporary work visas for EU workers for the poultry and transport industries, but only until Christmas Eve. These people did not choose to go back home, they were discarded by our government and as a result of Brexit. Only a fool and someone completely out of touch would even expect them to consider coming back to a country that has rejected them previously. <clears throat> Simply, this will not happen, as is already evident. Many other industries are likewise affected, suffering severe and serious staffing levels. The care industry and the hospitality industry being particularly affected, equally so our NHS. It has to be questioned as to what planet this government are actually on, or indeed the people who voted for Brexit. Never before has so many been conned by so few, but they have now. Evidence, wherever anyone cares to actually look, or should we continue to blame Covid for everything? Some still conveniently ignore the fact that most of the world has had COVID too. Now this letter is from Maggie Strutt and she comes from Carlton near Saxmundham. Sir, I recently received this email from Police Connect. Police are appealing for information after an incident of theft. The victim, in her 60s, had been shopping and they placed their shopping in the car and when they returned they could not find their purse. Their bank cards were used minutes later. Poor lady, but who are they who kindly put their shopping in the car? Did the writer mean she and her? Then why not say so? They is a plural word, meaning more than one person of non-specific gender. The police know this lady's gender, 
so why imply several people were involved? And this letter is from G. Godden of Woodbridge. Sir, there's currently a vast amount of condemnation against the police generally, and from what I have read, it seems in many cases rightly so, and urgent action would appear necessary. However, at the same time, in-depth investigation of the judicial system should be implemented. I am disgusted with some of the comments and views expressed by the judges in serious sexual assault cases, where the judge seems to imply that the woman was the author of her own misfortune. If we expect the police to protect women and pursue the perpetrators of violence against them, they should be assured that the courts will, in the event of a conviction, hand out a sentence which will deter the culprit from committing such an offence in the future, that is, a custodial sentence. That's the end of the letters, and now for some more news. A Stowmarket couple, who are Salvation Army majors, have been honoured for their work during the pandemic with a special Suffolk Heroes Award. James and Beverly Lloyd's work included turning the town's rec cafe into a safe place for people at risk and a venue for serving school lunches. James said Beverly partnered with the Mid-Suffolk Council and Age UK in order support to support at-risk individuals who fell through the cracks. She also spent hours daily shopping for those who could not get out. She also cooked meals for more than 50 seniors every other Sunday, got, got core members to deliver the food and make welfare calls to those struggling. The award was presented by Stowmarket Mayor Keith Scarf and Mid-Suffolk District Council Chairman, Councillor Paul Ekpenyon. A new butcher's and fine food store has opened in Ixworth. The shop in the High Street has been opened by village residents Ben Birrell and his wife Katie. Katie's mum, Sue Garwood, also helps out at the store. Mr Birrell also runs the original alternative shop on the Travis in Berry St Edmunds, which specialises in herbal supplements and cannabis oil products. The butcher shop was formerly run as Meat at the Village Stores by David Sim for around 30 years. One of the most popular men in the community, Mr Sim died after a short illness in April this year. It's an exciting new adventure and great to keep the shop going, said Mr Birrell, who is also chairman of Ixworth Parish Council. I have always enjoyed food and wanted to make sure the shop stayed open for the local community. We've decorated inside and out, but also kept some of David's equipment and sh showcased it on the wall, along with an article he wrote for the Berry Free Press ten years ago in the midst of the beef crisis. Ixworth Butchers and Fine Foods now sells a range of food and drink products, including meat products as well as fruit and vegetables, fresh bread. Specialist fine foods include cheeses, seafood, pâtés and sauces, fine wines, spirits, beers and ciders. Around 60% of our stock is sourced locally from around Suffolk and Norfolk and people will recognise a lot of the names, added Mr Birrell. We've had some great feedback from customers and got off to a good start. We'll be starting meat boxes and deliveries next month 
for orders from our website and are now taking orders for Norfolk bronze turkeys for Christmas. We had a quiet opening last week for local residents so they could see the shop first and are delighted to keep the shop running for the community. An award-winning food waste initiative <coughs> received a visit by the High Sheriff on its <coughs> as it unveiled plans to open a second store thanks to vital council funding. Still Good Food in Bury St Edmunds helped to save 27 tonnes of food last year and focuses on sustainability by making it available to all regardless of their financial situation. A new store opened in Freedom Church, Great Barton, on Tuesday after funding was secured from members at West Suffolk Council and Suffolk County Council. Suffolk's High Sheriff, Edward Creasy, said Still Good Foods' effectiveness is demonstrated by the upcoming opening of a new shop in Great Barton and I am delighted that the future looks bright for Kate and her team. The original Berry store off Risbygate Street in Elsie's, in Elsie's Yard provided a vital lifeline during the pandemic by expanding its opening times from two days a week to six. Councillor Richard Rout, who helped to financially support the shop through his locality budget, said, Still Good Food provides an invaluable service in Bury St Edmunds, driving down food waste and providing nutritious and low-cost options to our residents. The shop is run exclusively by volunteers. Kate McFarland, Chair of Trustees at Still Good Food, said, What's fantastic about our shop is that it's open to everyone. We are an environmental project and focus on ensuring, ensuring edible food isn't wasted. People in Suffolk put 113 tonnes of unflushable waste down the toilet last year, Anglin Water has revealed. The water company said the total weight of the waste recovered from Suffolk sewers annually is equivalent to that of a blue whale, the largest animal on the planet. Angley Water shared images of the waste removed from its sewer network, including a mass of wet wipes found in Lowestoft. They reminded customers not to flush wet wipes, disposable face masks, nappies, sanitary items and cotton buds as they can block drains. Regan Harris from Anglin Water said, We have 76,000 kilometres of sewer pipe in our region. That's enough to go around the world twice. Wet wipes are the most common cause of problems in the sewer and are by far the worst culprit. But tampons, fats or cotton buds also cause problems. Most of these blockages are entirely preventable, but instead lead to, to, to devastating sewage spills can harm the environment and cost millions of pounds each year to clear. And now we have a feature. It's entitled A Taste of the Past That Can Still Be Enjoyed Today. Delicately flavoured with rose water, drizzled with honey and decorated with flower petals, it's no wonder fine cakes were a favourite at the court of Henry VIII. The king no doubt enjoyed them with all six wives, although given his gargantuan appetite, the Queen might have needed quick reactions to get her share. And 500 years later, they are no less delicious, cooked not in a Tudor palace, but in a kitchen in Suffolk. 
fine cakes, they have the texture of a soft, slightly crumbly shortbread, are one of the recipes in a book just published by Glemsford Local History Society. Half a pound of tuppenny rice has been compiled by society member Stephanie Plythborough. Some recipes date back centuries. There are more modern family favourites too, either her own or contributed by society members and friends. Several dishes are specific to Suffolk and the mix is seasoned with a sprinkling of history. So whether your taste buds are tempted by berry old Simnel cake from the early 1800s or a more familiar lasagna, the book should appeal. She also includes hints and tips from times past, some of which would raise eyebrows today, like the advice that petrol is excellent for cleaning gentlemen's clothes. But at least the quoted household expert who suggests applying with a small piece of flannel does add, do not use near an open fire, as it is very flammable. Experimenting with old recipes, Steph discovered some adapt some adapt very well in some adapt very well in today's needs. Fine cakes are very practical because they freeze very well. You can batch cook them so they are good for modern living too, she said. They're very subtle. There's rose water in there. It can be quite strong, so you only need a very small amount. Sugar was very, very expensive, and only for those in high society. It came in hard cones. Before you could do anything, you had to break off chunks, then grind it up in a pestle and mortar. But in a castle full of servants, the amount of work wasn't a worry. Sugar was imported to Britain in the, six, in the 16th century from cane grown around the shores of the Mediterranean. It would have been similar to the demerara we know today. In Henry VIII's time, it was crafted by the court confectionery into magnificent table, table centrepieces, Steph explains. But first, she says it had to be bo bo boiled up by a more lowly servant, a very dangerous job. Not that being able to afford sugar did the upper classes much good. Higher status people suffered far more tooth decay than poor people, like farm workers. Steph's recipes from long ago include capon with oranges and lemons, a chicken dish com combining meat and fruit, which Steph says is a Middle Eastern tradition brought to England by the Crusaders. Tart of cheese from the 16th century is recognisable as a forerunner of a modern quiche. God's Kitchell cake, there's a recipe here in, the, um, in this feature, dates back at least to the 14th century. The Kitchell is mentioned by Chaucer in his Canterbury Tales, written in 1386. From Sudbury comes a late 19th century sweet called Sheet Lightning, bread sometimes fried in butter, spread with golden syrup and topped with whipped cream. Other recipes include Haverhill flan and Newmarket cake, as well as Suffolk farmhouse favourite potato pudding, which was very popular in the 19th century. And to wash it down, how about a warming draught of buttered beer, an ancient drink for wintry evenings. Wartime dishes include trench cake, which was sent to soldiers in the First World War, and spam hash and mock cream, which made most, the most of rations in World War II. It's nice to remind people that it doesn't all have to be celebrity chefs with tastes from a simpler era, said Steph. And uh, this features um, uh, about the, um, the Christmas package. Town takes off the wrapping to reveal Christmas package. 
With Christmas fast approaching, a packed programme Where are East Anglia's best and least known ship shipwrecks? With a history as rich, as rich and fascinating as East Anglia's, it's no surprise that a number of shipwrecks can be traced back to our coasts. And over the years, a handful of sunken ships from years gone by have been discovered, with many still peacefully resting on the seafloor. And one man who knows his shipwrecks is Stuart Bacon. Now retired, Stuart spent 40 years working as a marine biologist in Suffolk, finding wrecks and helping bring some of them to light. The former marine biologist was based at Suffolk Underwater Studies for a number of years and was instrumental in helping discover a number of wrecks. The Suffolk Underwater Studies unit was key in covering erosion, deposition and archaeological discoveries off our coasts, and kept a vast record of its findings throughout the years. It also housed a small museum which showcased its discoveries. And while the museum and unit are now defunct following Stuart's retirement, his memories will always remain. But what were some of his most memorable finds? I worked on the medieval Dunwich site for about 20 years, and during that time I found clues on an area opposite the Coast Guard cottage in Minsmere. We did a magnetic survey of the area where we picked up some readings off the coast and in 1994 we decided to dive on the site. Stuart chartered a dive support vessel with four divers before heading down into the murky depths of the North Sea. Bearing in mind it's completely black and you can't see, but on the second day I went down and my hands felt what I thought was a pipe, but it was actually a 16th century cannon. The bronze cannon, which measured around eight feet long, is believed to have belonged to a warship that was part of the Spanish Armada's failed invasion in 1588. It now lives in Dunwich Museum. We surveyed the site, which was incredibly difficult, and all, and all of the divers had to work by touch and sound. Visibility is so, so poor you can't even use lanterns, adds Stuart. There are other guns down there, and it's now a protected site. Hopefully, more of the material will be lifted in due course in the coming years. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty in playing it, please use the phone number you've been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. Telephone number mentioned in this edition is Macmillan Cancer Support and the number is 0808808000 and calls are free. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Sue, Jackie, Carol and David, it's... Goodbye. Goodbye.
You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.